Hi, I'm Dan from Desert Island Dicks, feeling a bit croaky and standing in my kitchen recording this. Our guest this episode is Nigel Planer, who's an actor, comedian and writer, but is most famous for playing Neil in The Young Ones, which is certainly where I first saw him, as I've loved that programme since I was about five. So I felt like a nervous little schoolboy talking to him, which wasn't helped by the fact that due to me having a bad cold whilst talking to him, I've sounded very croaky and pubescent. Anyway, it was a pleasure chatting to him, and I hope it's a pleasure for you to listen to him. And if that is the case, and you enjoy this podcast, then please do subscribe and give us a little rating or a review. It doesn't have to be long, just clicking the subscribe button is great, and it doesn't take much time at all, and it's really helpful for us, and we really appreciate it. So thanks, if you do it. Otherwise, I don't know. Just do it next time, please. Uh, I think there was something else I was supposed to say here, but I can't remember what it was, so we might as well get along with Desert Island Dicks with Nigel Planer. Hi, I'm Dan Benedictus and welcome to Desert Island Dicks, the show that sees you marooned on a desert island after a plane crash with the worst people and worst things imaginable. Who they are and why they're a dick is up to our guest and here to share their Desert Island Dicks with us today is actor, comedian and writer Nigel Planer. Hello. Hello, hello. How are you doing? Yeah, not bad, not bad at all actually. Uh, uh, Considering, you know, the circumstances... This lockdown's yeah. been quite uh, okay for me. Mm. Yeah, there's quite a range of uh, of sort of feelings about it. I feel that often I speak to people, and the longer it goes on, the greater the sense of acceptance about it all. Ha- you know, and then yeah. suddenly everything's going back to normal, and you think, oh, I don't know if I want all of the normal life back it's, again. Yeah, it's exactly, and it's also quite uh, you know readjusting what's okay and what's not okay is quite mm. anxiety producing. You know. Yeah. Yeah, and everyone's at very different stages. At, the, at least when it was lockdown, we all knew the rules, whereas now... Exactly, you know. yeah, yeah. And how did you find the process of, of making your choices for the island today? Well, it it's very... It's, it's not very pleasant, actually, because <laughs> it it's the sort of... Such a, a part of our culture now, isn't it? To be, mm. to be dissing other people. It's mm. like a massive troll show you've got going here, isn't it? <laughs> we, it's like one big troll. Who can we? Who can we diss now? Who can we ridicule? Or you know, how can we all have a moan and say, um, you know, oh, this is this is rubbish. This is rubbish. Or that person is is no good. Um, and you know, on the whole, I try and avoid. You know, normally in life, I try and try and avoid doing that. I just mm. shout at the computer and moan at the technology and, <laughs> and the answer, you know, when you're left on an answer phone queue and things like that. Yeah. Um, because I think people's feelings do get more hurt than we admit. Mm. You know, critics critics and pundits all think it's, you know, fair enough to criticise uh, other people's efforts. And they don't realise that their criticisms really do, you know, hit the mark. Mind you, I just saw this uh, film last night, The How to Build a Girl, and that's about a Julie Birchill-type character mm-hmm. who gets her career by really ridiculing and, and uh, deriding the bands she's reviewing. And then she has a bit of a crisis in her life, and she has to go back and write apologies to them because she ma- realises it makes her feel bad, <laughs> having been horrible to everyone. So I think uh, there's room for more kindness. Having mm. said that, all of that, you know, let's get on and really ditch some people. <laughs> maybe one day I'll, I'll start a companion podcast where we just focus on all the good in life. And, uh, all how nice maybe, maybe I'll have really to, Maybe is. I'll have to do that, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, another, another difficulty I had with it is that a few times, uh, a few examples where, where I've either met people in the public eye, who who I have been supposedly cool, who turned out to not be cool at all, <laughs> or, or the other way around. And I've also, on a couple of occasions, had to play, you know, to act a character who is who is definitely not cool. 
and then doing the research and and reading the about them and looking at them in interviews and things you get to sort of know them and you think well maybe they're not as bad as all that after all and you start to kind of uh, appreciate them as a three-dimensional as a human being rather than just some kind of spitting image puppet um, and so it's a difficult thing, this. You know, say, take somebody like uh, Peter Mandelson, who at the time was in the media, in the, in the sort of spitting image world. He was, he was definitely, people dissed him, and, you know, he was, he was called sort of evil or the, of the night. And I got to, to act him in a, in a mm. comic strip film. And so I saw, I read his biography, I listened to his audio book, I, I saw the documentary about him, and in the end I thought, oh, he's, you know, he's quite interesting. He's, I saw the, the full human anyway. So I think it's, it's, it, we find it a bit easy to just have hate figures. Again, having said that, some of them, you know, don't redeem themselves very well, do they? Okay, well, with... At the back of our mind during this podcast, we'll have that these people probably deserve a second chance somewhere. Yeah, yeah, go on, do that. A cup of tea in a chat. (laughs) Yeah, do that. (laughs) Yes. Nigel thinks they're nice, really, even though. Yeah, like if you, you know, if I really twist your arm, this is who we're putting on the island. But, you know, at some point on the desert island, you're going to have a chance to see their their true colours and maybe it'll all be friends after a while. Yeah, on the island, maybe. Yeah. Okay, well, let's get stuck in then. Who's going to be your first choice? Uh, You know, to be on the island, this is the definite the worst choice, would be Mark Zuckerberg. Right, okay, yeah. Imagine spending all eternity, Mm. you know, with Mark Zuckerberg, the sort of robotic man, plus who knows what he's got up in space looking down at what you're doing on that (laughs) island. You know, when when they were... um, India said they didn't want his Facebook. I don't know if you remember that. He had designed a massive aeroplane with huge wings that would have enough power to override their um, desire not to have his product that could cut through that and provide it to people whether they wanted it or not. And he spent millions on doing that. Um, So I see him as a sort of... old-fashioned colonial imperialist. Mm. I think that's what he is. He's taken over the world. He's got his own class of shares in his company. I know this is, you know, that sort of company law, and you think, well, it's it's uh, complicated to understand, but he has special class of shares, so nobody has any control over what happens in the company. So he is totally responsible for every decision that's made, just him. Yeah. More so than any government in the world, even... You know, even dictators. He's he's a dictator. Well, yeah, and more powerful than a lot of dictators and governments yeah. these days. Yeah, I mean, there way. are more people on Facebook. He's Facebook, WhatsApp and Instagram, isn't he? Mm. So there are more people on that than... I, 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 I'll get the figures wrong because I don't remember the numbers, but something like the whole of Western Europe. He's got billions of people yeah. in his empire, you yeah. know. Yeah. And but that's not what would be so awful just because he's amazingly powerful and successful. But I think what would make him awful to be with on the island is if you've seen that interview when he was up in front of the uh, American Commission, yeah, uh, they were investigating him and he turned up in a suit and he he did look like a tailor's dummy, it didn't look like yeah. a, a person. He, I, I don't think he'd crack a smile. I I don't think he would know how to relate to another human being, which would make him very difficult to get on with. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think the thing with Mark Zuckerberg is there's a weird sort of balance between the sort of, on the face of it, Facebook just seems like this very silly, pointless platform of like people sharing pictures of what they eat or their cats or whatever. But there's this whole sort of pernicious thing behind the background, this whole sort of machinery working away to, you know, looking at your like looking at your likes and dislikes and just harvesting data and things like that. And it's it's sort of 
at least you know with something like I don't know like say if it's like tobacco advertising you kind of know what it was in it you know it's sort of like oh just get in touch with people and share your emotions and and connect but yeah. we're gonna steal everything about you it's much more underhand isn't it yeah it, it I think it is very underhand I, I mean I think it's interesting I don't know if you saw the movie about the start of Facebook. Um, I, I haven't because I just thought I'd had I'd had enough of it in my yeah, life already. The, the fictional movie, you know, where that mm. that actor whose name I've forgotten. The Social Network. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I didn't realise it started as a kind of bullying network. Um, okay. What it was was he was at college and this girl uh, rejected him, and because he had the technology all lined up with some of his mates, they started a sort of online platform for putting pictures. Uh, reviews of the girls on the campus right okay. and saying i don't think her tits are very good or you know i'd like mm. to do this to her or this one doesn't give it you know a real boys bullying platform mm. and that was the birth of facebook and that kind yeah. of sums it up to me yeah he gives the whole uh, it's a community um it's connectivity of people we're going to connect them and we're going to Everybody can share and all of that. But as you say, it, it, it's a share, but it's a one-way share. Mm. Because he's sharing your details with other people who are giving him money. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. where the share is. Yeah. I, um, I knew someone who worked at Facebook and she invited us um, over once, some, some friends, just to sort of go and have a look one, one evening. And at first, it's like a just a sort of Willy Wonka type playground, you know. There's sort yeah. of vending machines where everything's free, and that you know, there's vending machines for drinks and foods, and even sort of new laptop uh, keyboards and things like that, or like you know, fridges full of drinks and soft areas and a climbing wall and all this stuff. And you go into the toilets, and there's free mouthwash and toothpaste and things. But then. There's also notices everywhere that, that when you actually sit on the toilet and look, there's like a notice saying, "Have you fulfilled these objectives for this week?" And like that, you know, beneath oh, really? the there's lots. There's, it's the whole thing is as passive aggressive as it seemed. Yeah, but no. like, there's lots of these kind of little reminders, and and a lot of the reason, of course, they make it so nice to be there all the time is so that you never leave. You know, or they say, oh, well, like, if you want to work a bit longer, we can freeze your eggs, you know, so you don't have to take time off to have kids. Or, you know, we can give you a desk with a treadmill in it so you can walk while you're working and things like that. And it's all a bit, it's yeah, just creepy. I, I, don't, I, th I do think it's creepy. I do think it's creepy. Mm. I agree. So, I mean, and and so it's, it's what he represents as well, isn't it? You know, mm. so he would be my least favourite. And I imagine, as you said, like he's he's not very human. So I think just for as, for someone to have a conversation with on a deserted island, it would just be just really dull because he would say, "Human, speak at me." What response now? You know, and, unless he suddenly had a meltdown because he's away from all his power. He's on the desert island, and he suddenly mm. starts becoming very needy. Imagine that—a <laughs> <laughs> very needy Mark Zuckerberg going, "But don't you like me? Please tell me you like me, really." Wouldn't yeah. that be awful? Yeah. I thought, I saw a thing once, I might have mentioned this in an earlier podcast that we did, but um, he's one of those people that believes in only having one outfit. So he goes to his yeah. wardrobe and there's only grey t-shirts or whatever. And he said he seems he thinks that choosing your clothes and taking time over your appearance is frivolous. And I was like, you work on a platform where most people post pictures of their breakfast. I mean, like, yeah. how can you talk to me about being frivolous but I think it's a very sensible choice jolly good um, and who would be joining him on the island with you are we allowed dead people yes yes well, we'll I, I mean I don't mean that I want a dead body there no I don't mean, have them but reanimated. I mean a person as if they were still alive you know when they were alive yeah yeah, yeah it's, like a, a, it's a bloke called Thomas Babington Macaulay oh that old chestnut yes the one you know all about so I don't need <laughs> to explain anything um yeah he he um it's him and his ilk but he's the mm. he's the best example of it um he he's the sort of archetypal uh, racist really right there's a lot of quotes if you look him up there's a load of quotes attributed to him some of which may have got have stuck to him uh that that he didn't actually say but it's fair enough because the things he did actually say it, it, he's become the kind of the one to it, the flypaper to which it all sticks. 
um, he was a, a, a colonial administrator in the in the Raj. We're talking sort of eighteen thirties, and he, he basically he thought the best thing would be that the Indian uh, languages and the Indian culture should be dropped. Basically, the famous quote he said was that the whole of the Sanskrit texts, all the Ayurvedas, the, the, the Upanishad, all of the, the whole of Indian literature and culture was worth less than a shelf from, a, from a, an abridgment shelf on a, in, in, of the Western canon of literature. Um, yeah, he said that the entire canon of the Sanskrit language is less valuable than the most um, patchy abridgment in a prep school textbook. Um, so he, and he said, if we if we don't allow them to use their language, they may, if they're very lucky, get a bit of Western, particularly English culture, and language, and that's what where where we will get them to where, what we want them to be, which is truly a dominated nation. That is a quote from him. Truly a dominated nation, um, and the benefit of this to them would be that they would have the benefit from the wisest nations on earth. So he's kind of... If, oh, yeah. if you're looking for somebody's statue to knock down, yeah. he's the guy, if you see what I yeah. mean. He, 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 there were lots of them at the time. There was, you know, Lord Curzon, who, who did the first partition of Bengal. Mm. There were plenty of people who over here were great politicians, great men, and no doubt doing wonderful... Uh, you know, altruism maybe, like this Colston guy, you know, maybe did wonderful things here, but if you look at what they were doing and saying and thinking over there, there's a whole other story. And so Thomas Babington Macaulay, in my book, mm. would be a, a bad guy to have around on your desert island. Yeah, I imagine so. I mean, that's just extraordinary, isn't it? To sort of, just to be able to sort of override any kind of, like, all history of a, a huge nation like that, isn't it? It's just Well, just and the more ancient, uh, you know, ancient uh, literature and culture, the, the um, I'm going to get my facts wrong again, but I think it's the uh, Ayurvedas or the Upanishads, the... the the texts are something like 13 times the size of Homer, the Homer, mm. Iliad and the Odyssey, that the amount of, of, of written material is, is infinitely greater, bigger, just in terms of volume. I don't, I'm not talking about quality yeah. <laughs> uh, because I can't read Sanskrit, but um, I, I've read in translation, a, 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 you know, some, a fair amount of Indian thing. I'm a bit of a, a, a keen India uh, buff, you know. Yeah. And so I, I I read a lot of Indian literature, obviously in translation, um, mm. but that one really takes the biscuit. That quote. Yeah, yeah. It's it just sort of feels really symptomatic of that kind of underlying like incredible like arrogance of you know that that sort of so much of what our country is built on. You know, whereas you sort of and it, it gets scary when you kind of see the language kind of being used again these days when they talk about sort of you, I don't know there's like a sort of arrogance these days when it's like oh everything will be all right with this and that because we're British and we did it the first time in this completely different situation so we'll be okay now whether that's Brexit or a pandemic it's kind of it all kind of harks back to this kind of like insanely unjustified self-belief and and sort of misguided patriotism I think. Yeah I mean having said that they weren't all like Macaulay there were many uh, British Indian cross-cultural things where the, the you know the Brits took on Indian culture, Indian took on Brit culture, and the Archaeological Society was started. The Archaeological Society of India was started. You know, um, in fact, I think the first member of Indian Congress. I, again, I may get my facts wrong, but I think the first. Uh, chairperson of the Indian Congress, who started the Indian Congress Party, was was a was a Brit, okay. and certainly Annie Besant, who was a woman Brit, um, mm. was voted to be the leader at one point. So it's not right. you know it's not like all of the all of the people were like that. There's been a mix of of cultures all along, but mm. I couldn't agree more that the, that those kind of attitudes survive. And uh, mm. uh, and um, 
that's why I'd like to shove them all on this desert island. <laughs> yeah, good idea. Good plan. I um, It reminded me slightly, this is going to seem slightly tangential at first, but it was recently my mum's 80th birthday and some of her friends got her a big hamper. And one of the items in this hamper was a jar of, it's called Colonel Skinner's Hot Mango Pickle or Mango Relish. Oh, yeah. And I thought... I thought, I bet there's some dark stories behind how Colonel Skinner got his recipe for this mango, <laughs> mango chutney. Yeah. I just thought it, it seemed like the most colonial thing. It can't just be like traditional yeah. Rajasthani mango uh, chutney. But it's, called, thought, um, yeah. it's called, ch- the, the cross cookery uh, thing is called Chutney Mary, isn't it? Is where you've got the, what yeah. the Brits liked in India, how they liked it being, how they liked their curries, as it were. It's called yeah. Chutney Mary cooking. Yeah. I just thought, I don't know, I just, something about Colonel Skinner, I keep meaning to look him up and see if there was one who committed some atrocities over there in the Raj yeah. or something. But I mean, there, yeah. were, there was an awful lot of cross-cultural communication and love and, you know, a lot of children as well mm. were born, you know, a lot of Anglo-Indian families and children and there was a, you know, we go back a long way yeah. and we go back yeah. before the Raj 200 years you know, the Raj was the sort of culmination of it, it was this big, op- op- oppressive, pompous uh, thing. But they, before that, it was there was the East India Company, greedy, land-grabbing, etc., uh, etc. Et um, mm. But alongside that, it's always a complicated story. Um, alongside that, there was a lot of, uh, I believe, a lot of cross, cross-cultural communication, you know. Yeah. I mean, I was wondering how he'd get on on the island. Um, but I mean, sort of being able to sort of be completely in charge of a land and set the rules, he might be quite happy. And I think maybe with Mark Zuckerberg there as well, you know, it's like another, you know, he's part of a huge country, uh, company that sort of has the weight of a, a big continent who sometimes has you know, slightly uh, white supremacist tendencies, you know. So maybe, yeah. maybe they're... Maybe they'd be happy together. Maybe they'd be happy. The only thing is they've got no one to boss around, have they? Except me. Yeah, except me. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, but I'm not going to make up for the billions of Facebook followers, nor the whole of the Indian subcontinent, the population, mm. the downtrodden nation. I, I'm not going to be able to, you know, satisfy their their greed. Yeah. Yeah, that's the only thing no, that I think they might both fall apart. That's what I'm going with that. That they. They might become very needy, both of them. It would be quite nice to watch them both fall apart from sort of the complete sort of polar opposites in time and space, but brought together on the island, just seeing them both kind of fall apart would be quite interesting. But yeah, except that you being there would mean you've got to be their therapist, haven't it? You, yeah. You'd have to listen to it all. Mm. Mind well, you, that I'm... might be good because you could sort of infiltrate their minds by pretending to be their pal. And and just start to sort of have have your own back and yeah. get them, you know, put them back together the right way. Maybe that would be possible. Yeah. Well, I imagine someone like Thomas Babington Macaulay will probably have such a stiff upper lip. He'll never let on what's happening in his mind everywhere. So maybe you won't have to th- give him therapy too much. Whereas Mark Zuckerberg, I mean, he, he'll want therapy for days, I think, and weeks and months. He'll want, yes, maybe, yeah. You know, because he's, you know, Silicon Valley, talking about his feelings... Well, maybe he doesn't. I mean, it doesn't seem like he has feelings, so who knows? Well, who but knows? he 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 makes out he does, doesn't he? He makes out he's yeah. very very charitable and all of that. But yeah, but he's wonder, not giving. I, wonder, I mean, it has to be said. He's he's giving a tiny percentage in terms of of joining the the Bill Gates Foundation and giving massive amounts to the to their um to charities and, and things around the world. I think Mark Zuckerberg is, is is one of the least generous of them all. Well, he's got lots of grey T-shirts to buy. I mean, come on, you know. Bezos, though, he's... The, he's Actually, I forgot about him. He can come yeah. too. Well, yeah, well, so we move on to your third. Are we going with Bezos or do you, do you want someone No, else? Zuckerberg would be. Zuckerberg and okay. McCauley, really, yeah. Yeah, OK. All right, well, who will be your third choice? Oh, my third. Um, well... Are we allowed? We're allowed dead people. We're allowed live people. Are we allowed sort of, um, what's the word? Abstract, you know, people. Mm. Yeah. Am I allowed? Yeah. You know, because whenever I was thinking about this, and thinking of things that I really don't like in people, and mm. I'm discussing it with my wife, and she's got this little sort of 
smirky grin on her face, <laughs> and I'm thinking that, and that's the grin when she's she's thinking you do that, <laughs> and um, so I'm thinking the hardest thing to be with on this island would be kind of your shadow self, right? Yeah, would be the real you. Mm. Because you present yourself, don't you, all the time mm. as being this person, I'm doing it now, who's okay to deal with. But there's all sorts of other things. I mean, I write characters. I write, you know, I'm I'm writing stories, I write plays, and I'm writing a, a book. And I write these comedy characters who are terrible people um, who do these terrible things. And they're quite funny. Mm. But the, it, they're kind of... You know, I've suffered doing this. You know, this is my problem. Now you can have it. It's kind of just <laughs> pushing it to one side. And uh, it's like your shadow side. And yeah. that's what, if you're, if you're trying to write, that's what you have to think or act or do anything creative like that that's based on your imagination. You have to get honest with yourself and think, I do that. You know, that's, <laughs> that's and how would it be if that was exaggerated? How would it be yeah. if that was... You know, uh, like my character Neil. That's mm. there's lots of aspects of that. That comes from me. I didn't, you know, they didn't write the script, and then I auditioned for the part. That was a character I created, who I was doing as an act, and then I did a character, a, a vain actor character called Nicholas Craig, um, who gives people acting lessons and thinks he's great, and and gets away with it always, being completely hypocritical and. And when we were writing Nicholas Craig with my co-author, Christopher Douglas, I'd be working in acting and I'd come to the uh, writing meeting and I'd say, oh, you know what, um, they've, they've only not given me the scripts until the last minute or some actor-type complaint. And he'd just be sniggering mm. and writing under the table everything I said <laughs> down and it would go into the character because all, these ca all the characters are manifestations of your own shortcomings so really what I'd imagined was an abstract my third character I'll call him Henry for the purposes of this <laughs> is a manifestation of all of the all of my own shortcomings and I've got to face them every day because he's there on the island with me am I allowed that yeah no absolutely absolutely I mean is there a, is there a particular trait of yourself that you deplore do you think or do you think just a, a general amalgamation of everything exaggerated? Um, well, if I think of uh, just going th through those characters, like Neil, mm. say, there's a sort of aggrandisement of his own suffering. You know, nobody ever listens to me. Oh, well, I might as well. It's going to be me, does it? Just this constant sort of uh, selfish uh, grasping at, at being a victim, uh, which I think is quite relevant today. Yeah. Um, this sort of, you know, that it's it's a kind of self pity, but it's self, it's passive aggressive, isn't it? It's self pity mm. being used, being used to give everyone else yeah. a hard time to draw attention to yourself. And I think that's very much, yeah, that's that's pretty much one of the things. It would be a real pain to have to live with that side of me. And then the Nicholas Craig character. Yeah, and then it's an inability to find yourself ridiculous and funny, you know. <laughs> and so we'll call this character, we're calling him Henry Planer. Um, the, the trouble is that sounds a bit like one of my sons, so let's call him... <laughs> well, and there's Nicholas Craig and there's Neil, so let's call him... Uh, is there another name that begins with N? Nicholas, Neil, Nile, Nils. Let's call him Nils. <laughs> okay. Nils Planner. Great. Okay, and so he can be there. So you've got two kind of awful men already, and then there's someone who's just holding up your own failings or your own kind of yeah. parts of yourself that you don't want to Your own lack of well. success as a human being. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so that's, yeah, that's quite a, quite a good uh, combination. So you're sort of hit from all sides, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty miserable existence if those are your only friends. <laughs> I mean, your only <laughs> companions, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Good. Okay. Well, uh, now, mercifully, amongst the wreckage of the plane, there was some food and drink left over. Unfortunately for you, it's your least favourite food and drink in the world. What are they and why are they so bad? Well, there's there's crates and crates of cheap white wine. And in the freeze box, not melting, is boxes and boxes of mini magnums. (laughs) Okay. And they're not, it's not that I, they're my least favourite foods. It's that once you've had one mini magnum, it's not quite enough. And so you have another and another, and then you're feeling sick. And after a few days of that, you put on a lot of weight. And they're not really making you feel good like food does. They just like, it's like there was a big pile of heroin there or something like that. <laughs> mini magnums and cheap white wine mm. gives you a bad stomach. It goes down so easily, like pop. Yeah. And you can just glug it back. You're not even really enjoying the taste of it. And you just, before you know it, you're kind of drunk, obviously, but in a kind of bad-tempered way, sweaty, and you can't stop because they're, <laughs> if, if they're sugar buzzes. Do you see what I mean? So yeah. although initially you think you like them, if you were stuck on a desert island and that's what you had every day you would really, really grow to hate them. I think uh, cheap white wine and mini magnums are a lot of sort of girls' nights in. You know, it's like an ideal Saturday night kind of fixture, I think. Yeah, so it sounds good, doesn't it? But imagine if that was... There were no baked potatoes anymore. There was, (laughs) you know, there was nothing... No nice vegetables. There was nothing except white wine, cheap white, bad white wine, not nice white wine, and (laughs) magnums. Yeah, you'd be yeah. by Monday if that was your girls' night in Saturday night. By Monday, you'd be vomiting. Yeah, I, I always feel as well with mini magnums that there's a part of there's a part of me that thinks they really sort of tap into that like the guilt that you know they they sort of want you to have guilt about things. So it's like oh go on, it's only a little one. Oh I really yes should. exactly. Oh okay. Oh it's only yeah. small. You know whereas they should just say it's a delicious ice cream. Have a big magnum, enjoy it, and it sort of yeah. taps into that. Like, I mean, of... in fact, you 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 put your finger on it because it's a very strange thing. Because magnum means bloody big. It's yeah. it's a magnum. <laughs> Magnus means the biggest. So having yeah. a mini biggest is the stupidest thing ever. Actually, <laughs> like there was an advert for Galaxy chocolate, and it was like it, it was hinged around a woman kind of hiding it from her flatmate under her bed, and it's just think. Just, I don't know, get a different flatmate and enjoy chocolate, but you shouldn't be hiding your food and feeling guilty and sort of going, oh, I'm on my own now, I can have my mini magnum or my chocolate. It's just that yeah. that side of advertising is just very kind of a bit snidey, isn't it? Yeah, but it's, you know, the trouble is those kind of things are quite difficult to resist. They're quite addictive yeah. aren't they those those foods yeah on the plus side seeing as you know we did say at the beginning we were going to see the good in some people and things uh mini magnums are quite good for three-year-olds i've found so for my son they're quite a good age because he thinks he's had an ice cream it's enough for him but you know i'm not giving him too much ice cream so that's quite a good yeah you go to an ice cream van they pull you one that's the size of a traffic cone yeah and you know and then i've got to sort out that but um yeah, the so trouble is, a mini magnums come in a box if you buy them at the supermarket. Yeah, they come in a box, and there's about eleven of them. And mm. if you're a very undisciplined person who's drunk on white wine, <laughs> you could get through quite a few of them and then feel really bad. Yeah, yeah. I think well, that's partly the thing. Usually, I'll get them out when he's around. By the time that it's finished, I, if I want another one, I can't because he's around, so I can't let them Oh, that's handy, more. yeah. And then I forget that they're there later, so then, you know... Oh, uh, yes, or I, forgetting they're there. Or I need to there. save them for him. Yeah. But on the, on, the, uh, on the desert island, there'd be none of that. No. You'd be stuck with them. And Mark Zuckerberg just noting down what flavours you tend to gravitate to. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> insatiable appetite for data. That's right, that's right. And people who liked this white... One usually liked the almond one. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, you've got Thomas Babington Macaulay, who just he only wants the white ones. Obviously, you know. <laughs> yes, oh, quite. No, I think that's a, I think that's a strong choice. Fortunately, though, you won't be without entertainment on the island. The plane's entertainment system continues to work, but just your luck, it only has two working settings. One is your least favourite film of all time, and the other is your least favourite song. What are they, and why? Uh, least favourite film. 
although on the desert island, actually, maybe this isn't such a bad choice, is the Horse Whisperer. Okay. But the reason I didn't, I put it there was because when I first saw it, it first, I mean, I've only ever seen it once and I haven't even seen all of it because I left the cinema <laughs> after the first sort of hour and a half, went and did some shopping, you know, went for a beer, went back into the cinema and, and it was still on. You know, the, and it went on for another hour, and, and because it just goes on and on and on. Mm. Uh, but actually, if you were stuck forever on a desert island, that might not be so... But you've got all the time in the world, haven't you? You're not going to worry yeah. about whether he's whispered to the horse or whether the woman's going to have an affair with him or, you know, you, you, you'd have all the time in the world, like he's got, to train this horse. <laughs> so actually, it, this might be a, this might be I might have sneaked one in that's actually quite good. Yeah. It's like I wonder if if you're a taxi driver, do you care if you're stuck in traffic, knowing that you're going to be in the car all day anyway? Does it matter? You know, and it's so, ah yeah, it, you know, it's that sort of thing of like, well, you've only got that to watch, so you might as well string it out. But I still think there's a part of you that just go, God, this is crap. I wish well, I had a decent. I've film. noticed that with uh, with some taxi drivers are different. You know, some of them don't have got exactly that kind of zen approach to the traffic mm. they're very calm about it and it's their job and they just sit there whereas others get driven as mad by it as 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 i would be you know sitting yeah. there and they and they fret and they accelerate a brake accelerate a brake you know and they and they get stressed by traffic so i think it depends who you are so yeah. i in that sense i would probably be in the latter group when it came yeah. to the horse whisperer and i'd still find it irritating <laughs> i i haven't seen the horse whisperer but i was uh, i've i've sort of seen the trailer and i've kind of I'm, I'm aware of it but it just feels like robert redford wrote a film just presenting how he wanted to be seen by the world <laughs> you know it's a, oh yeah yeah, yeah. Well, i mean i don't i don't have a problem i'm i'm a, a great admirer of Robert Redford because I think he's a much more changing and subtle actor than people give him credit because he looks so good. Mm. People people always think, oh, he's just doing Robert Redford. But if you look at all the films, there's one where he's in Cuba in sort of Hawaiian shirts playing a bit of a dodgy spiv gangster type. And he, yeah, he doesn't, he never sort of changes his accent and his posture and all that, but he gives off a different vibe. Mm. And and I think he's actually a, a much more subtle actor than than his reputation allows. And again, you know, I, I think you're right. He, he, you know, he obviously likes riding horses and being out in Wyoming in the open plain, and mm. and that was how he liked to be seen. You know, yeah. There's yeah. a story it, about it, isn't it? Isn't wasn't the book? I think I've got this right. The book of the Horse Whisperer was written by an English teacher who lived in Stockwell in London. Really? And he got a phone call in the middle of the night. The book would just come out, as I, th I think I've got this right. He got a phone call in the middle of the night, 3am. He went, yeah, who is it? He, and it was a voice said, hello, this is Robert Redford. I want to buy the rights <laughs> to your book. And he said, you're kidding me. You know, it's one of those kind of yeah. showbiz stories. And they bought, you know, he said, oh, how much for? And he said, oh, will three million do or whatever the story goes, <laughs> you know. It's kind of one of those dreams that you would dream of, that Robert Redford mm. rings you in the night and says, I want to give you a million dollars, you know. Yeah. Um, but I think that's true. I think it's true that that, I think it was that one. And um, <laughs> and I've not read the book, but no. the, the film... It's it's just the relationships in it. The the woman comes with her daughter, who needs the open spaces, and the marriage isn't good. And Robert Redford is this perfect man, and she falls in love with them, and I think they have an affair. And then they talk about it a lot about shall we have this affair? Did we have this affair? And then they go back and do some more horses, and then they talk again sure. about was it the wrong thing to have this affair? And shall I go back to my husband? And it just goes on and on and on and on. Yeah. It feels like I think I don't know, not the biggest, the best cause you could do a film about. It's like you know, helping little girl reconnect with her horse. I mean, it feels like there's bigger fish to fry. You know, I mean, not that every film has to be about something great and epic and worthy, but you know, if it just, I don't know, it just doesn't do it for me. <laughs> no, I mean, I was never. I mean, that's part from anything else. I was never that into horses anyway. 
No. So, I mean, it's not going to be the film on the desert island. I'm not going to go, oh, great, the horses again. You know, it's going to be... <laughs> it's it's not going to do it for me. No, no, I think that sounds wise. And uh, what would be the song choice? Well, the song choice is not so much like a... Rec- you know, the recording. Mm. Uh, it's not a, not a pop song. would be something like, or indeed, Onward Christian Soldiers. Okay, the hymn. The hymn, yeah. A load of people singing that very enthusiastically. <laughs> um, not like on a, in a church and blah, blah, when it's all slow and the organ's going slow. Some people who really think it's great. Because that, <laughs> that would get on my nerves. Um, Christian soldiers onwards. I, I, I just find the sort of logic of it difficult to mm. swallow. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching to war. Hang on. What religion is this we're meant to be subscribing to? Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war. With the flag of Jesus going on before. Get your guns at the ready. See how many you can kill. Oh, no, that wasn't... Sorry, that's not the lyrics of Onward, Christian soldiers. But it's that's the the, uh, feeling of it, isn't it? Get yeah, your guns out. Get, make sure you make sure you're feeling really aggressive and warlike, and get out there and win a battle with a flag of Jesus. So, you know, it's pushing it, isn't it? Yeah, it's very much the sort of crusaders' attitude to religion of like, I love my God so much, I must kill everyone else who doesn't. You know. Yeah, I agree, and that and it seems to me. Uh, well, crusader is the word, yeah, the crusaders and the, you know, mass, uh, you know, thugs um, m- murdering and and not even not even murdering the right place. They turned up once in, I think I've got it, Istanbul, and, and the, you know, the, the wind wasn't right to go further to the Holy Line, so they trashed the place they arrived just for the hell of it anyway. <laughs> for, for Jesus, no doubt. But yeah. that hymn sort of, to me, sums up where it all went wrong. <laughs> yeah. Again, I imagine Thomas Babington Macaulay would be all over it, though. That's the other disadvantage, of course, is he would love it. He'd be singing it in your ear. Yeah. All yeah. the time. He'd think, oh, can we put it on again, please? Can we put the song on again? And that yeah. would just, you know, that would be too much, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's that whole thing, isn't it? It's like, I remember sort of, uh, there's that Bill Hicks quote where he was talking about how... Uh, he was making fun of religion and two cowboys came up to him after the show and said, we don't like these things you said about Jesus because we're Christian and we don't like the way you talk about Jesus. And he said, well, forgive me then. You know, and it's that sort of... Thing of <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, and it's that complete sort of like completely forgetting about the main lesson of the whole thing about, you know, turning the other cheek and being nice and accepting. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, and also I, it's something to do with school. Because I went to a school and we had to sing hymns, mm. and we did. We were, you know, I'm. I don't know if they still do this. I shouldn't think they do it nowadays. But I'm. I'm quite old. I was at school in the, in the fifties, and the sixties, and we had to sing these hymns. We had to sing, "Onward, Christian Soldiers," and all these hit, things that were written in the nineteenth century, um, which 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 just didn't make sense to me when you have the 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 priest saying and Jesus taught us that we should love one another as as you say and then let's so let's all go out and get a flag of Jesus and, and attack the the others um to me that doesn't I'm, I'm sort of you know my whole childhood was spent trying to work out what these adults really were you know, trying to make sense of this crazy contradiction. Yeah, yeah, it's strange, isn't it? It doesn't. It's a bit more Old Testament vibe to that song, I think. But uh... yeah. well, except it's got the word Christian. You know, Old yeah. Testament wouldn't have been Christ, would it? Well, that's what I mean. It sort of has the sort of fire and brimstone mm. Old Testament kind of vibe, but that's why it doesn't quite fit. It would be pretty terrible hearing that all the time. I think. Yeah, and also I think even. I just think even if it was the worst kind of pop song, you'd just sort of get into it after a while. It would become, it would sort of fade into um, sort of subconsciousness quicker than a sort of a very rousing 
sort of vaguely military sort of hymn. Yeah. You know, on the other hand, sort of, um, it could be that you're stuck on a desert island and it starts to make you nostalgic for sort of 1950s Britain. And you start thinking, oh, if only, <laughs> if only there was... I really miss that militaristic singing that we used to do when I was a kid and you'd get all, you'd get all sad and homesick. <laughs> now, finally, the island is overrun by the biggest dick of all the animals. Which animal is it and why? Um, it's a skunk. A skunk, yeah. I feel like they don't get that much press these days. You know, when you're younger and you watch a lot of cartoons, they pop up in cartoons a lot, but you don't really see much many programmes on them and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to... It, it, it also would make me feel slightly at home. I live in London, mm. and London smells of skunk. <laughs> That's what it smells of these days, and it's not a nice smell, I don't think. It, it, and it's really a sticky smell that mm. won't give up, will it? It's not one of those mm. smells that wafts away in the wind. It's one of those smells that's like a treacly on the air. It sticks onto you. It sticks onto the buildings. It comes out of buildings and it hangs in the street. And if yeah, somebody cause... walks past you who's been smoking it, I mean, you can smell it hundreds of yards away. Yeah. Sometimes you can, you know, you can spot where it comes from. But yeah, sometimes there's no one around. You smell it in lockdown when you go out, go out for a walk, and you think, I absolutely, can't even see anyone here. Yeah, yeah, it's a very, very pervasive smell. And again, on the island, it might make me. If I had a skunk, it might make me feel homesick. Um, <laughs> but, but to be honest, walk. Yes, walking around streets in London, even in in the park, when there's no one there, as you say you get the a little waft of it from this from the wind and it's not it's it really isn't a nice smell it's not exotic uh like uh, um other you know forms of of um drugs might be <laughs> you know so or, or, or even the tobacco has a slightly zingy smell to it there's a although i don't like i used to smoke i don't anymore but, the, you know, I don't like the smell of tobacco, but it's got a kind of ping to it. It, it gives you a sort of... It's got a tang, and then it's gone. <laughs> but Skunk says, no, I'm here now. That's it. I'm here. You're not getting rid of me. I'll be on your clothes. When you go in today, you know, you've just taken a walk. You go into your house. All your clothes are going to smell of me. And uh, I, I really don't like it. Fair enough. Well, uh, a skunk goes on the island with you. Now, uh, Nigel, I'd like to be um, slightly cheeky and uh, because uh, being having been a fan of The Young Ones since I was about five, I'd like to slip in a little bonus question based on your character, Neil. Now, obviously, I know that your career has been very long and successful since then, so apologies for going all the way back to the start. But can I ask you, of the characters in The Young Ones, who do you think would be the worst addition to the desert island for you? Um, because they're all they're all really the the trouble is I I know the guys who played them and and they you know they're all kind of you know I love them all they're like my brothers the, and I've got to think of the worst one mm. so it wouldn't be it wouldn't be Alexi because I see him all the time anyway <laughs> okay. So he was the worst. What am I doing? You know, I mean, we're still pals. We see each other almost every week. Um, and I put up with it. You know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it wouldn't be him. It wouldn't be Jerzy Belowski. <laughs> it wouldn't be Adrian. It wouldn't be Vivian. Mm. Because, again, I see him often. We, we write together. We write plays together now. Mm. Um, and the situation is... Although there's quite a lot of, you know, we we sort of, not friction, but, the, you know, we, we bump up against each other. We did, went on tour and did a play together last year um, that we'd written. And there's a lot of, we, we, we have a sort of a lot of fun. It's very enjoyable, as well as being quite tough. The relationship's quite sort of abrasive, I think. But we, so there's a really close bond there. So he wouldn't be on the island. That would be like normal life for me. <laughs> Um, so Chris, that's um, Mike, Chris Ryan. Mm. 
I, I see him fairly often, and he's just such a nice chap. He's re- he would be really nice to have on the island. <laughs> so I'd like him on the island. That would be great. Um, but then that's not what we were talking about, is it? <laughs> we're talking about the worst one to have on the island. Mm. So it would have to be Rick. Yeah. He'd yeah. be the worst one, merely by a process of elimination. <laughs> Um, because he, yes, I mean, if there are any negatives, it because there's just too much energy to deal with all yeah. the time. You know, you'd you'd have to be going. Oh no, just yes. Have we? Uh, is there any kind of Valium? Has the plane left any <laughs> Valium? Because you'd want to sort of calm him down. Because there's always this energy mm. that 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 is very funny, but it's like non-stop. The energy's there always, yeah. and that's tiring. <laughs> um, so it would have to be Rick, although it wouldn't be bad, you know. Even that wouldn't—it's not so bad. I can, uh, you know, that he might alleviate um, Thomas Babington, Macaulay, and Mark Zuckerberg. I'd like to see Rick dealing with Mark Zuckerberg. That would be funny. Yeah, and you could and you could just sit back and watch watch the fireworks. I think that'd be great. Actually, so in really, in answer to your question, I can't think of any one of them that would be, you know, that would be really bad. <laughs> they'd be, uh, you know, they'd all be great to have around, actually. Well, I'm actually very relieved because, as a fan of the show, I'm very happy that everyone involved is really nice. So, I mean, I'm very happy with that answer. Brilliant. <laughs> well, Nigel, thank you so much for coming on today. And um, what have you been working on? Is there anything you'd like to talk about that you've been working on recently that people should know about? Um, yeah, I've been in lockdown. I've been working on a couple of things. I was writing uh, plays before, and we were nearly getting. I had four plays sort of ready to to put into theatres um, and obviously that's you know that's had to drop out so in lockdown I've, I've done a couple of things I've I've written a book based on s- s- some earlier work I did a, a, a sort of comedy adventure inspired by a sort of Terry Pratchett type thing because I did all of mm. ter- not all of but a lot of Terry Pratchett's audio books in that ki- I'm hoping in that kind of style. Anyway, inspired by that kind of mm. style. Um, that's called Jeremiah Born in Time. Um, and I've gone back to the songs. I wrote songs when I was like 20, 19, 20. Mm. And they've never seen the light of day. And I went back to them with a mate called Chris Wade, who, who, who has a band that's just him, called mm. Dodson and Fogg. He's in Leeds. And we've been recording these songs slowly, but surely. And we're making a little album out of these songs with him on guitar, me doing, even me doing, I haven't played guitar for 40 years, um, doing a little bit of guitar. Oh, no, I tell a lie, because we did Bad News. That was 30 years ago. Um, but so even me doing a little bit, you know, recording a bit, sending it to each other, singing some harmonies and doing these rather sweet songs from like 1971 <laughs> um, and that's quite fun I mean they're coming out as they sound as if they were recorded in 1971 as well because they're pretty amateur you know I'm <laughs> really an amateur in that in that department but it's but it's quite a fun thing to do in in the lockdown yeah. yeah well you sound like you've been the most productive person in lockdown that I've spoken to so far oh, by quite know. a long way so so um, I think it was very impressive indeed. But uh, Nigel, thank you so much for coming on again. Thank you. Thanks for having me. 